both an art and a science, valuations are complex things and their impact is enormous, making the difference between generational wealth creation and a comfortable retirement. At Bizval, we know how tough it is to grow and run a business, which is exactly why we've made valuations simpler. Whether you are using our online tool Bizval Live or reaching out to us for a concierge offering where we spend more time on your numbers and your business and give you detailed feedback, you can be sure that the same techniques being used by professional investors are also being used by us. And with Bizval Bootcamp, we will prepare you for those discussions with investors. Welcome to this episode of the Bizval Podcast. I'm here with Johan Talyat of Auric. And I think it's going to be a pretty interesting conversation because Auric helps business owners not just sell their businesses, but actually grow them and turn them into something that can be sold. So very close to our hearts, very close to the hearts of those who have been listening to the Bizwell podcast. And if you've been following our webinars, our podcasts, reading our articles, by now you should have gotten a pretty good idea of what goes into actually building a business for sale. But there's always something to learn. So Johan, Welcome to the show, and I'm looking forward to learning from you. Good morning, Ghost. Yeah, thank you. So I think let's start with you know a little bit about Auric for those who are not familiar with the business. Maybe a one-minute intro on just you know who you guys are, what you do, and then I think let's delve into some of the more uh, detailed stuff. Well, uh, Auric Auric really works with the owners of established businesses, and it and it works with these business owners to help them rebuild their businesses in such a way that they have more time, that there is more value in the business and that they can essentially at the end of the day and when the time is right, effectively sell the business. And we've been doing this since uh, around 2005 when the business was started and we've helped hundreds and hundreds of businesses across South Africa with uh, with getting their businesses right. And Johan, I know you're running effectively the coastal regions. So you're a director at Auric and you do sort of the Western Cape and KwaZulu-Natal. I don't know how you got the, the seaside gigs right. You've clearly uh, negotiated a, a decent deal there. You've got to choose the best places, eh? <laughs> uh, clearly, clearly, clearly. And I, at the end of the day, if, you know, from looking at the Auric websites and from what I know about you guys, you seem to be built around a problem that's quite close to our hearts here at Biswell, and that is that most businesses businesses fail to sell. And it's very sad because an entire opportunity to create true legacy wealth ends up being lost. I mean, these businesses then either just get wound down, which is very painful and, and a real problem in terms of the jobs of the people involved. Sometimes they get handed over, I suppose, within families and that's not always the best way to go. Just because the owner was a great entrepreneur doesn't mean that the, the offspring are, you know, or the, or the niece or the nephew or whatever the case may be. So a lot of wealth gets lost. And, you know, from your perspective, firstly, why does that happen? You know, why do so few of these things sell? And then secondly is what impact would it have on the economy if more of these SMEs were actually built for sale and built to last, I suppose, to quote the book, you know, like actually something that can be sold one day, those jobs carry on. Yeah, it's uh it's a significant problem, and that really goes to the root of why Auric even exists. The, the global statistics say 94.6% of businesses globally fail to sell, which means they close down, right? Like you said, they close down at tremendous cost, not just to the people that owned it, to the staff, but all the families around that. So it's a, it's a terrible statistic that shows that less than 5% actually get this right. And to answer your question on, on, on why that is, we, we find that so many businesses or the business owners build their businesses. Let's say for 30 years, they build the business. And then they think in 30 days, they can sell it. And they think it's, it's just automatic. You know, you build a good business for a lengthy period of time and it will automatically sell. And that's not the case. A business has to be built so that it can be sold. It has to be designed and engineered that way. 
doesn't just automatically happen. And that's one thing that, that most business owners don't spend time on understanding or, or actually implementing. One of the crucial things in that is, as South Africans especially, we are proud. The South African humans are proud. And when we build a business, you want to be center of that. And you want to be involved in everything. And, and I mean, that's good and that's necessary in the beginning. But at the later stage of a business, if you as the owner of the business are so involved, it becomes a business that nobody would want to buy. Because a, a classic buyer would walk in and see, wow, I see Mr. X here is running it so well, we won't be able to take his role and, and do his job. So we can't buy the business because the owner is so involved. And that's, that's still the, the biggest reason why, why businesses never fail. Now, you asked the second part of the question on what would be the effect. In South Africa, I think the statistics they say is that for every person that's employed, they look after about seven other people. Well, that's, that's not great to start with, but imagine a business has grown over the period of time. So there's three ceilings classically. Your first ceiling is at 15 people, second ceiling at 45 people, and the third ceiling at about 150 people. To break through those ceilings, you've got to change and almost rebuild how the business works. Otherwise, you'll never break through. So let's assume you do well and you get to that, you get past the second ceiling and you get to about 50 people. Now the owner is in his 60s, 70s, and he wants to retire, but he never built the business in such a way that it can be sold. Now the business closes, 50 people lose their jobs. That means, what's that? 350 people are indirectly or directly affected by this. Now, of course, the market needs to pick that up, and other competitors and market players will come in, and they'll take up some of that business. But the delay and the loss in value and time that we as an economy lose out of that is tremendous. And it puts us on the back foot permanently. So it, it really goes against uh, the gear that builds a proper economy up. And I think the other reason that entrepreneurs really need to think about building a business that can be sold, even if they don't sell it one day, is it means they've built something that can be handed over. So not only is that a lovely thing later on in life when you'd rather be playing golf or going away with your family, all the things we'd all rather be doing, let's be completely honest, but it also creates this evergreen income stream, right? Because a corporate will force you to retire at roughly 65 years old, whereas you never need to retire from your business, technically. You know, a hell of a lot of people are still perfectly healthy and willing and able to work long past 65, but corporates effectively put you out to pasture, you know, and suddenly you go from being in this high-end role, you know, to, to sometimes living already in a retirement village. I mean, it, it always feels to me like an accelerated end. It's quite sad. You know, people who still have a lot to give. If you have your own business, you can still continue to give. You know, you can bring someone else in, they can run it. Even if you don't sell it, the point here is you've got someone to hand it over to who can actually take it over, create that long-term income stream for you and continue creating jobs, building that legacy, the whole shebang. So building something that can be sold is always a good idea, even if you don't want to sell it. That's my view. Completely, completely agree. And, and you know what happens in reality is when, when we take clients on, about half of them come to us and say, hey, let's work together so that we can build this business to sell it in two to three years time from now. But by the time we're done, two years later, they say, I'm not selling anymore. I'm, this whole business is running itself. I'm only going in twice a week and I'm making more money than ever because they built a business that they can exit, but they don't have to. I always believe the one who have those options, he's in the best position. Yeah. Optionality is your friend. I completely agree. Yeah. Speaking of exits, the one thing we very rarely see these days is uh, listings on public markets. The classic IPO. I mean, it's basically dead in South Africa there is no liquidity on the JSE for small caps. It does not exist. 
you know, from your perspective, well, I wanted to ask you, you know, why you think the, the IPOs are so light and, and that's one reason, but if it's anything else you want to add to that, I'd be interested to know. And, you know, do you think that the private capital market picks up enough of the slack? Like, are there enough businesses changing hands all the time? Is there enough of a pool of buyers that it's not a big deal that the JSC just doesn't really work for this? Yeah, it, it's, it's a really interesting space because you're right. If you look at the, the data, the amount of new listings versus delistings is, is definitely skewed in the delisting side. Many more are delisting. And why I think that exists, firstly, we've got to look at why people list in the first place. So the primary reason typically would be to raise capital. And sure, you can take some money off the table too, but essentially you're still in your business because whenever you list, they still require you to run the business. So you've, you've really taken a bit of money off the table, but you're still um, completely in the business. But it was a good way in the past to raise capital and then using that capital to deploy it and, and continue to grow a business and, and the public benefits. Nowadays, people are as skeptical to invest in the JSE in the small caps as they are in private equity or even in, in private transactions. So by going through all that tremendous amount of administration and corporate governance and rules and regulations and cost to list does not outweigh the benefit anymore. So I feel like you say, the, the private funding, the, the private equity space, the private funders, they are picking up the slack. It, is a, it has become a lot easier and a lot more accessible to get private funds into your business than what it was in the past. People trust more. I think data, or technology has also helped us to make better decisions and you can make better due diligences. So it's not as risky as what it used to be in the past. So therefore, the, the private guys take over. Yeah, a lot of small caps on the JSE are trading at the sort of multiples that a good private company can sell at anyway. And if you take into account, as you've pointed out, the costs there, which generally speaking are more than the benefit uh, that you get to your valuation as a small cap, you know, you end up with a, a very unappealing combination. And then on top of that, the visibility, suddenly you're in the public eye, including what you earn, what you own. I can understand why private exits are actually just, you know, way more preferred. And even then a private exit doesn't happen overnight. That's something that you referenced earlier. You know, in your view, how far in advance of a planned exit should a founder be starting to really think about this? You know, how long does it take to get a business ready for sale, even if it's established? So I said earlier, it takes 30 years to build a business and then most people think they can do it in 30 days. So anything longer than that, please. <laughs> so my, my preferred way is to look at it over a three-year period. And there's, there's method in the three years because firstly, you've got to look at what does it look like at the end. Let's start with the end. If you, if you think forward and you're saying, okay, we want to sell our business three years from now, what do we want to sell it for? There's a, there's a financial element. Okay, we can, work on, we can work on that and I'll get back to the finance part. Bisval is crucial in that. The second part is how do we have to rebuild the business and the commercial functions within the business to be ready for that sale? How do we engineer the business and work the current ownership and his responsibility out of that? So that, in, in our view, takes, takes up to three years. And you know, the, the most important aspects there, there's, there's really five elements we, we see is the most valuable aspects that you have to build through in these three years. The first one, and, and again, I'm taking the view of if I was walking in and I want to buy a business, what are the things I would look for? And therefore, you have to be ready for those things. Otherwise, the buyer walks away. The first thing a buyer would want to look at is, how specialized are you? What is your positioning in the market? And, and what that really looks like in your positioning is, what specific sector within the market am I focused on? What problem do I solve for that customer sector? 
and what experience do I put those customers through that is different to the competitors so that I am, I am, I'm unique in that space. So if that is well defined, then me as the buyer, I can see a future because I can see it's not just everything enterprises who tries to do anything and everything for everyone because that doesn't last. So that's the first part, get the positioning right. The second part is what internal operations, we often refer to this as the engine of the business, your, your, your sales, how you, how you bring in sales in, how did the operations work, your supply chain, your warehousing, logistics, the finance component, the HR component, how do all these commercial functions work together and how well is it documented in such a way that if some of the people leave, someone else can come in and fulfill that same role. And this goes down to roles, responsibilities, everything, the processes for how the engine works. There's a lot of work that needs to be done in that because very often the owner just leads by instruction. He doesn't lead by delegation. And that's crucial to change. Otherwise, we can't buy this business. So that's the second part. The third one is the team. Who are the people that manages and runs this engine to fulfill the promises that you've made in your positioning? And if the team isn't solid, it becomes a risk. And the higher the risk, of course, the lower the valuation. So the people side of it needs to be seen very well and it needs to be distributed in such a way that you don't just sit with two or three superstars because if the superstars leave, it exposes the same risk. So the people side is, is the third component. The fourth component looks more at the finance side. What type of growth can we show over the last three years? Because, I mean, doing any business valuation, you would want to look at the growth rate that you had over the past three years to show the growth rate that you can safely predict into the future. So to do that, you need to grow over the next three years. And in South Africa, we sit with the real inflation is probably closer to 15%. Let's, let's be honest, it's not really the 6% that they show. So if your business is not growing at 15%, you're, you're close to stagnation. And that doesn't really add a lot of value in your valuation, or you can't really justify the value that you want if you don't grow at more than 15%. And the last part, probably the hardest, is the independence of the business, the independence of you as the owner. Working yourself out of all the commercial functions, out of the relationships of key stakeholders, suppliers, and customers. And to, to get you out of those roles, that sets you up. So if those five aspects are really well built, and that takes, I mean, when we work with businesses, it takes us two years to get that right. So over that period, all of those things in place, then you're in a place where you have a position where you could sell, the probability is increased, and your valuation have increased. That all makes a lot of sense. And, you know, the growth rate is so important. And the problem is over the last three years, of course, we've had COVID. So any business that's up for sale right now has to demonstrate, you know, future earnings that are believable based on a really concrete plan and visibility of revenue, because chances are pretty good that over the past three years, the financials were probably all over the place and uh, it makes it even trickier, right? So having as much of that in place as possible definitely does good things for evaluation. It certainly does good things in a due diligence as well. And I would imagine, you know, you guys are not just working with founders who are looking to sell the business. I think that's an important point about Auric is you're also, you're growth advisors at the end of the day. So that's any business that is looking for some assistance in sort of how do we get to the next step? You know, those ceilings you mentioned earlier of the different layers of employees, I found that very interesting. And while you were saying that, I was thinking of, you know, so many of the businesses that I've seen. And I agree with you. I think those ceilings I'd put one even further down that says, you know, around five people, because a lot of businesses never get past that, right? But those are incredibly hard to sell, if not impossible. Um, so reality, things that are sellable, I think those are realistic 
ceilings. But I just wanted to confirm from an Auric perspective, you know, you guys are not just working with founders looking to sell, it's also founders looking mm, to grow. Absolutely. You know, it's often a misconception because we believe so strongly in you have to build a business that can be sold, the market often perceives Auric as someone that sells businesses. And, and that's, that's, that, that's not correct. We, we try our best to avoid that, but it's just because we believe so strongly in building a sellable business. So in reality, with, um, in South Africa, we're probably working currently with about 300 businesses. And about 55% of them have the intention to build to sell. That's a clear indication. <laughs> like I said earlier, most of them, well not most of them, a lot of them get after two years and they don't want to sell anymore. But that was their initial uh, idea when they came to us. The other 45% all just want to grow. They came with a clear intention. They're, they're much younger often. They're still ambitious. And they're saying, over the next 10 years, we're still going to grow and scale. We're going to invest back in the business to just dominate our sector. So there's two very clear different strategies when they, when they start with us. And I think you've touched on it earlier in terms of the different elements of what helps a business grow and a founder work you know, himself or herself out of a business. I think when founders hear consultants coming in as a growth strategy, even when they use the word partner gets used, there's that immediate... Firstly, there's that skepticism, I think. I would imagine there's an element of mistrust. I mean, inevitably, a founder has gone through the most to actually build this thing. Both personally, I mean, there's a, there's a graveyard of marriages of founders. There's health issues. There's all this stuff. Like, it's not an easy life. I'm always the first to say that is, you know, going into becoming an entrepreneur, unless it's an illness that you can't get rid of, probably rather don't do it. It's hard. And so there's a lot of skepticism, I would think, you know, when you guys are coming through. And anyone, actually, how do you sort of win that trust, I suppose, of the founder, you know, and get them to think, okay, maybe these guys will bring something different to the table that I haven't thought of before. You know, they're not just going to walk in and say, well, have you thought of selling more? You know, that's, that's clearly not a strategy. Uh, to, on your first point about being an entrepreneur, that it is so hard. I mean, uh, they, they say, you should just become an uh, entrepreneur, you know, build your own business. You get to work half days and you get to choose which 12 hours of every day that is. There we go. That's exactly it. That is a very, very good way to put it. I like that. But it is hard. So, so to, to give you an indication of winning that trust, firstly, you know, business growth, the words have been so overused. Everybody says they can help you with your business growth. Even if you just design a better website, that's business growth. If you buy coffee from this place, that'll help your business grow. Business growth itself, the term, is so overused. So we, we try even steer away from that because I believe... Business growth is very personal. We work with so many different types of businesses and across industries. And when you ask them about their growth and you ask deeper and deeper, it's a very personal thing. Sometimes the business owner wants to grow the amount of holidays they can take. That's business growth for him. Others want to double the size of their business in terms of turnover. That's business growth. Others just want to reduce their turnover and increase their profitability. There's various ways of looking at it. And to build your business in such a way, there's, there's different strategies that have to be applied. So to get over the trust part, there is so many people that say they can come in and tell you what to do and your business will grow. And I, I, I actually think that's what tarnished the industry because they come in, they act, well, they are very smart people and they come in and they tell you what to do and often it has an effect for two or three months and then everything goes back to normal because they're gone and everything else that they said is gone. So we believe it takes an entire team of people to get the results that, that we have with our clients. So when we work with a business, 
We work with them for 24 months because nothing of what we do is an overnight thing. We, we, I wish I could say we had a magic wand. We're not a white knight or any silver bullets. It takes 24 months. We work together with them twice a month and a team of between 10 to 14 experts. And these are all different experts in different commercial functions within a business. So that's, that's up to 14 different fresh perspectives that you get from external point of view with somebody that's an expert in a specific, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, whether it's HR, finance, diagnostics, all these different guys. So that's the amount of people it takes. Plus, over the years, we have figured out there's about 207 activities that every client goes through over the 24 months. We don't believe in business growth strategy as a theory. Theory, everybody can make theories and everybody can make plans. It all comes down to the implementation. And with these activities, the implementation hits the ground. So another point of the trust, you know, I'm sure you'll agree. Nobody likes to be told what to do. And especially business owners. You don't like to be told what to do. That's normal. That's how we are. That's humans. And that If you liked being told what to do, you wouldn't own your own business. Exactly, exactly. So it goes against their nature which is good. That's why they're in business and that's why they're good at business. But still, things need to change. And we had to figure out what does it take for change to happen, positive change to happen, and for the effect to last. So if we come in and we tell people what to do, firstly, they don't want to do it. They defend it and it never sticks, even if they do it. So we go through them and these activities are activities that we expose them to, but they have to do it. Because if they feel like they came up with the idea, the implementation is 100 times better. So it takes a bit longer, but after we leave in two years' time, they continue with the new, new things that they've implemented in their business. So to get that right creates a, a much more lasting effect. And of course, having done this for, for so many years, I think that people also talk to each other and that has built the trust. So we're fortunate in that, that we've, we've been doing it for so many years and so many businesses that the trust is, is shared and, and that helps the people come in. It doesn't mean that it, it's simple because everybody is on their own journey, but that definitely helps to, to build the trust and, and then help with the growth strategies. And then last question from me, Johan, you know, when a founder is looking to choose an advisor, almost in any sphere, I suppose, but maybe specifically this, you know, how should that founder ensure that the interests are aligned and that you don't have a situation where an advisor is just coming in and making a quick buck off you and disappearing again? Look, it's, 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 very, it's, it's a very good question. And I, I hope every business owner considers this deeply because so many times they get the wrong advice and the wrong advisors. So if you're talking about advice specifically, advice is probably best received from a mentor. Now, a mentor is defined as somebody that has done or achieved what you want to achieve in your industry specifically. That's a mentor. Auric is not a mentor and Auric doesn't give advice. A mentor is someone that's directly linked to you in such a way. Very, very often, the mentors are just not good teachers. They can tell you what they've done and then you're going to have to figure out what to do yourself. So although mentorship is, is crucially valuable, it's, it's, um, it's a lot of time it's a bit of a hit and miss. That's, that's advice. We, we prefer to call our, our involvement, the support that we offer with our clients, we could talk about co-creation with them. And it is supporting them what they want to achieve. So very often we have clients, I mean, we work with so many engineering firms or technical businesses or manufacturing businesses, these industrial businesses that are very technical. We are definitely not experts in engineering. 
We're definitely not experts in those crucial small components that go into the aerospace, like one of our clients. We will never give advice on the technical side of the business. But all of these businesses have the commercial functions in common. So those commercial functions are the place where Auric adds the value and they come as pure experts on the commercial function and the business owner comes with their technical ability and their industry ability and we put those two together. And then there's great collaboration. And we call it co-creating the next steps and co-creating the decisions that you need to make and the implementations that you need to make in your own business to get you where you want to be. Not because Auric told you so or where Auric thinks you should be. We'll challenge you but it will be on the way you want to be. So that's, that's kind of the view we take on, on advice and support. The, the question about where to find the support and how to do that, that that's, up to, that's up to everybody to see where they can find their support to make sure they're aligned. When we looked at this initially, and I go back more than a decade, we used to invest in the businesses. We used to take equity, then work with them for the 24 months, add incredible value, and then, of course, earn dividends while we do. But then five, six years later, unfortunately, those relationships almost always go sour because the value is not aligned anymore. By four or five years later, Oryx still earned the dividends and we didn't add value anymore. So that breaks. So we had to change that model and, and we don't invest in businesses at all anymore. What we've now done is created a model where our fees is linked to the turnover of the business. So if the turnover dips, our fees dip with it. That's the risk we take. And of course, if the business's turnover grows, our fees grow with it and they're happy to pay because the business is growing. So that makes our support aligned. And, and I would always say, look for something like that. If you want to make sure your support or the advice that you get is aligned, make sure there's risk in it for whoever is giving you that too. Because then, then they're really going to show what happens. We felt this the hardest during lockdown, I mean, during COVID, when our clients turnovers just went to nothing within like months or weeks, we still supported them and our fees dropped to nothing with them and we were able to pull them out eventually. So it, it really shows the true partnership that exists. So because of that link, we're pretty well aligned. So that's what I would say look for and, and make sure that's, that it's aligned. Yeah, it's a good answer. And I think you've done the right thing to go away from an equity model. People always want to own a small percentage in a private company. I've done enough corporate finance in my life to know that that is a very horrible idea. Whether you're a staff member or otherwise, it's worthless. Don't do it. Just understand the equity stack is for the founder and for the controlling shareholders, in my view at least. And, you know, everyone else should be getting paid for their time and value add in good old cash. So I think you guys arrived at that conclusion and I agree with it. Johan, that's pretty much what we have time for. Uh, in terms of some final thoughts, you know, just where people can find you. I'm sure LinkedIn is probably the answer to that question and maybe just pointing people to the Oryx site. And then uh, we'll wish you well and, and thank you for joining us on the Biswell podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, as you said, the website is there. LinkedIn is there. Happy to, happy to have a chat. So that's Oryx, A-U-R-I-K. Go check it out. Johan, thank you so much for this and uh, good luck. I'm sure we'll do this again sometime. Thank you very much. It was a good discussion. Thanks, guys.